Oh, tēnā tātou katoa e hui mai nei i tēnei ata. Greetings to all of you who have gathered here this morning. Well, welcome to the Future Journeys web conference. Ko Andrew Tōku Uingua. I am the Learns Kaiārahi for the web conference. Some of you may have seen Angel, the Kaiārahi, who was on the videos uh, for the Future Journeys field trip. Um, so I will be facilitating the web conference this morning. And before we get underway... We'll start off with a karakia, mamehi. Unahia te pō, te pō whirimana. Tonga kia te ao, te ao whati tangata. Tātai ki runga, tātai ki raro, tātai ahorau, amuie, huie, taikie. Well, welcome everybody. Uh, we've got two experts for you to ask questions to this morning. And I'll introduce you first to not Michelle Parrish, but in actual fact, in actual fact Francois. Uh, so Francois is, is the man you can see with Alliance objectives above his head. So welcome, Francois. Welcome, Now Francois is French, and he is one of the senior leaders for the Link Alliance. If you'd like to know more about Francois, you can go to the experts page on the Field Trip website and you can watch a video where Francois introduces himself. And we've also got Isaac. So we, Isaac's frozen, um, but that's, that's his picture there. And, uh, and similarly, you can go to the experts page on the Field Trip website and learn more about what Isaac does. So there are experts this morning. And our speaking saw this morning is St. Matthew's School in Masterton. So, Mai, great that you can join us this morning. And we've got Room T3 there as well. So, fantastic to have you listening. Let's get underway with your questions. So, I know that you've sent a whole lot in and we've, we've narrowed them down to some six key questions, St. Matthew's. So, just a reminder, uh, if you can... Introduce yourself with your first name and then ask your question. Get nice and close to the laptop if you're using a laptop for the microphone. And let's have your first question, please. And oh, and so um, in terms of answering, uh, Isaac and Francois, you'll just have to um, take it in turns or choose which one of you will be the best to answer each question. Or you can both uh, contribute. So can we have uh, question number one, please, Sir Matthew? Hi, my name is Jennifer. Hold up. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. Hi. My question is, who approves the project design designs? Is that you? You want to answer? Uh, yeah, I'll give it a crack, and then you can yeah. fill in the gaps. How about we do that? Um, so we have a our project designs are developed by a whole bunch of people. Um, I think at peak, we had over 700 designers on the project from all around the globe. And we have a set of what we call minimum requirements that we have to achieve. Um, and so these minimum requirements are a essentially a set of rules that we have to design to. And um, these were developed by City Railink and then given to the Link Alliance. Um, they were uh, designed or set with a whole bunch of ideas in mind um, with regards to consultations around uh, with Auckland Council and uh, Te Mana Whenua 
um, that help design the stations and things like that. And so that's what we're sort of aiming to achieve. Did you have much to add beyond that, Francois? Uh, yeah, the uh, verification, it's uh, quite, uh, let's see, several people are involved in the verification process or the approval process. So it's internal, but as well external, because some of, of the design must be, for some of them, approved by uh, external bodies. It could be ATE, TVRL, or this type of person, uh, body. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Sorry, um, I was just thinking, um, St. Matthews, it might pay to mute and unmute. I'm getting a little bit of feedback. So just while you are listening to the answer to your questions, it might be a good idea to mute uh, in between. Leave it for now before you ask your next question, but that might just help it be a bit clearer. So it sounds like, um, gosh, it's amazing. 700 people at one point involved in the design process, uh, Isaac. That's, um, that's a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. So and they're not just from New Zealand as well. They're all from around the globe. Australia, uh, I think there were some in China, South Africa as well. Yeah. Singapore. So, so and then um, I just missed a little bit of that, the actual... Um, the meat of that answer in terms of approval. So what are the key groups that uh, approve those designs? Um, so like Francois said, we have an internal uh, yeah. verifier, which is, so the Link Alliance is made up, I can't see my hand gesture, but my Link Alliance is made up of uh, a whole bunch of companies, uh, seven companies. Um, so there's a couple design companies within the Link Alliance. Uh, we've got ACOM, uh, WSP Opus, and Tonkin and Taylor. Um, so an internal verifier will be uh, one of those, uh, a team outside of the Link Alliance verifying in. Um, and then an external verifier is a company totally not in the Link Alliance. So that might be, I think it's what we call Arup and Homes, I think verified for us. And so we've got an internal one, which is part of the companies internal to the Link Alliance and an external one, companies that aren't within the uh, Link Alliance. And then there's also uh, the documents also go to Auckland Council as well for approval. Uh, it's what we call building consent. So we have exemptions and uh, some of our stuff isn't exempt. So we have building consents on our, some of our stuff. And you also mentioned uh, Tamana Whenua, um, the iwi who are involved in the projects uh, who have had a big input into the designs as well. Yeah, yeah. So Mana Whenua had a huge input into uh, the station design, um, which was uh, highly, yeah, mainly driven by them. Um, and so they're a large... Uh, uh, yeah, artistic pieces around the, um, I suppose, the creation of Auckland, I think it is. Um, and each station's unique in what it represents. Um, and so there's this backstory behind each station, and that's shown in the architecture of the station, which the yep. Timana Whenua help, um, help design. Yeah, some great videos on, well, on the CRL website, but also on the Fieldtrip website. Uh, there's some um, some what we call a fly through. So they're concepts 
of what the stations will look like and you can watch those videos and see how those stations might look when they're completed. Okay, so Matthew, sorry, we'll get back on to your second question, please. Um, Falava, my name is Xavier Wolf. Uh, and my question is, where did you get the machines and materials to build the tunnels? Mm. Okay. And perhaps I can try to answer it was a question, yeah? That's a good question. So it's uh, coming from a little bit everywhere in the world. Huh? Uh, uh, when we can and as far as possible, we, we source things, uh, our machines, our equipment, our goods in New Zealand. Uh, if I take, for example, the example of, uh, what say, of the tunnel boring machine on the tunnel, so the segments of the concrete segments, which are used to line the tunnel to, to support the grounds, they are manufactured in Auckland. Uh, so, and they are delivered. It's, uh, the, the, the factory is only about 10 kilometers away from our site. But the tunnel boring machine uh, was manufactured, uh, was designed, sorry, in Germany and manufactured in China and transported to, to Auckland huh? because uh, there is no manufacturer of uh, tunnel boring machine in, uh, in New Zealand. Huh? So it depends on the cases. So when, uh, as far as we can, we, we, we buy, uh, uh, or we procure equipment or goods in New Zealand. If we cannot, we have to go outside uh, New Zealand. And so we have equipment coming from various parts of the world, so quite a lot coming from Australia or Europe, for sure. Huh? Uh, and uh, a lot of things as well coming from China. Thanks, Francois. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of equipment on this job, that's for sure. So um, it would be pretty impossible, I'd say, to try and get everything uh, from uh, that's required on the projects in, in New Zealand. But um, there's, uh, yeah, it's it's quite incredible. And and the, the Filtrip website, the, the Google Earth tool, will give you a snapshot into some of uh, the materials um, and the equipment used uh, to create this project. Thanks very much, St. Matthews. Let's have uh, your third question, please. Kia my name is Veronica. Veronica. And the question I have is, how are the workers recruited? For example, engineers with specific skills and qualifications? Yeah, it's a good question because there's a lot of people in this project. So how do they get recruited? I'll let Francois answer this one first and then I'll have a crack at filling in the gaps. He'll probably be a better place to answer. Yeah, right now we we are about uh, 2,000 people on the project. So it means that's quite a lot of people to, to recruit. So various types of people, like you say, we have designers, we have workers, we have uh, uh, workers with highly skilled, uh, highly skilled workers. So to able to recruit uh, all these people. So first, we are trying to recruit people locally and to train people to get uh, the right uh, experience and expertise. And if we cannot, we have to, to recruit uh, outside New Zealand. Huh? So it's for uh, certain proportions. It, uh, let's say a small 10% of people are coming from abroad because particularly in the, the tunnel space, huh, there, are, uh, there is not enough people in New Zealand with uh, such a skill. Huh? Uh, but we are training people uh, to get the right experience and to continue to deliver this type of project in the coming years in New Zealand. Huh? Uh, 
what uh, what else so it means that uh, depending on the on the expertise we by we are doing a search uh, locally or internationally uh, for these people uh, we are interviewing people as well uh, to what to say to, to 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 ensure that they fit all requirements and they are uh, their experience and uh, as well we are uh, recruiting people and we are training them so we have a a significant training program to get uh, people on board and, uh, and uh, it's one of the objectives to leave a legacy to this uh, after this project and uh, people they are learning on our project we have a chance to be a long project so to, to and to train people uh, so and we have uh, people who have worked on previous big projects like that uh, like waterview for example uh, and uh, we are uh, what to say, we are taking advantage of that as well. Huh? Thanks, Francois. Anything to add, Isaac? Uh, no, I just it's it's just important. Um, I think un understand that um, you need people of all different skills, and mm -hmm. so it's a lot of people to source uh, for this project, which is why. Um, why we take up so much resource. We need everyone from designers and builders like Francois said, but then you also need people like uh, environmental and sustainability people who help mm -hmm. us make sure we're looking after our environment and achieving our sustainability goals. Um, and we have sort of those people in New Zealand, but it's also helped developing the new people that will help fill those voids when those people retire and stuff like that, which is what Francois is also talking about, about training them up. And then we also have comms people so it's not all just about engineering um we can't achieve this project with uh just engineers we need um people can, who can actually talk to people as well not saying the engineers can't yeah but, um, the, the next question uh, from st matthews is a is a good follow-on from this um so uh, can we have question number four please st matthews um the next question is, how can we follow the same similar pathway as the field trip experts? How are the workers recruited? Yeah, so this so we're talking about perhaps people like the students we've got here, if they were thinking about getting into this, uh, to be able to work on a project like this, um, what sort of, um, you know, what sort of pathway could you suggest they follow in terms of education and training? Want to start, uh, Isaac? Uh, yeah, okay. Um, so I'll just give you a little bit of my background and it might give some context. Uh, yeah. I grew up in Whangarei. Um, I went to school up there. Uh, during school, I liked all those boring subjects like maths and physics. Um, and at the end of school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, so then I went to university and studied engineering. Um, engineering in itself is quite a broad subject. Like myself, I am not the same engineer as what Francois is. Um, so that's, we can still work on the same project. That's how broad it is. Um, and then there's engineers not even working on this project. So you can do a wide range of engineering. Um, but I just sort of fumbled my way through university and then found something I liked, which was civil engineering which is what I do now. Um, and then I applied for a job at City Rail Link. But there are many other pathways, um, not through university. Um, companies like uh, Downer and other local um, engineering companies, uh, 
they offer what we call cadetships, which is something that you can apply for straight out of high school. Um, and essentially you, you get a job and they just train you up while you're on your job, um, which is another way to get into what we do. Um, yeah. Do you guys have any more questions or follow on from that? Or Francois, have anything to add? Yeah, um, a little bit similar. So yeah, when I was young, I liked mathematics, physics, uh, this type of things. Uh, and I decided to be an engineer. Huh? So I didn't choose it like that because I was more good in mathematics and physics. So I decided to be an engineer. And uh, at the last year of the engineering school, I decided to go in a geotechnical field to specialize a little bit in this field. And uh, my first job, I started on the, on the tunnel project in France. Uh, so it was one of the first uh, project with a tunnel boring machine. So it was uh, quite a long time ago uh, because it was in 86, huh? so you imagine. <laughs> uh, and after, uh, I have liked that and uh, continue to work on the tunnel project, but I left France uh, many years ago because uh, I left France in 90, so 31 years ago. Huh? And uh, I work only on big projects, um, railway projects, and underground railway projects. So in, uh, in Denmark, Sweden, uh, Netherlands, uh, Hong Kong, and uh, now in New Zealand. And, uh, yeah, and uh, progressively, I was the first, uh, uh, what do you say, uh, geotechnical engineer, method engineer, developing uh, methods. Uh, technical manager uh, and after construction manager and uh, project director. And so that was a little bit my path. Uh, oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah. And it's, uh, it's one of the great things these days, I think, is that, you know, you guys, you students can get a real good idea of the different pathways into careers like this. Because I must say, when I was at school a long time ago, um, I, I I don't even think I knew what an engineer was. Um, of course, Isaac says there's lots of different other roles within a project like this, but engineering certainly is a big part of it. Okay, so put your hands up, guys, uh, in um, your classes. Put your hands up, St. Matthews in room T3, if you know somebody who is an engineer. Right, so that's the fact you know an engineer to start with is great. And um, okay, so hands down and put your hands up if you think that you would like to work on a project like building tunnels in Auckland. Yeah, I think I'd put my hand up too. <laughs> because now that I know a bit more about it, it's a really exciting job. And, and one thing that comes through a lot from meeting people like Francois and Isaac is that they get to be part of something uh, something that's you know that they see being made and that they can say, well, I've been a part of building building this project and and something like City Rail Link who, who want to leave a legacy, uh, that's a pretty neat thing to be part of. So yeah, I'd certainly encourage you guys to look more into this sort of a career. So thank you. Um, okay, so St Matthews, we've got uh, question number five now. Uh. Kiona, my name is Robert. And Robert. my question What is the most challenging part of the tunnel to build? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> First of all, uh, to construct a tunnel is always challenging. Uh, as long as you have not completed the tunnel, you have always challenged. I, I have been on a project where uh, 
we were very close to finish the tunnel and we had a, a fire and the project was delayed by several months. And we had just one day or two days of excavation. You, you see, so things can happen. And so it's always challenging. So, so in this particular project, uh, I think what are the various challenges is that uh, we are building a tunnel underneath the city. So we have to be careful uh, because we have not to damage buildings, uh, damage infrastructure. Particularly, we have a section underneath uh, uh, motorway junction, Oakland motorway junction. So it's a corridor with uh, 11 or 12 lines of motorway. Uh, uh, we have uh, as well to excavate downhill. So it's an, another challenge. And as well, we have a kind of a tight curve with a very sharp uh, radius. So a few challenges. And there is a location where we have to encounter or excavate through anchors. So when we are close to the Aotea, we have uh, anchors coming uh, associated to, uh, to one building. It's temporary anchors, but they are still there and we have to excavate through ground containing uh, this anchor. So one challenge. Just one challenge of many, but um, yes. yeah, when you're talking about actually boring uh, a tunnel underneath the city, you, you, you just immediately think that's challenging. Yes. <laughs> Isaac, have you got anything else to add to that, Isaac? Um, yeah, I think I think what we need to, yeah, it's that we're doing construction in a live city. So we can only access our tunnel at certain areas and those areas aren't very large um, apart from Mount Eden. Um, and so we struggle with space because we're effectively running a huge construction site in quite a small CBD area. And that's what we struggle with. Uh, space is always an issue for us. Yeah, because people's lives have to continue. And so you're, you're working around people who are utilizing the city to get from A to B, places of work, where people might be visiting to go shopping and things like that. So you have to keep traffic flowing and enable people to go about their daily lives in such a in, in the best way possible while you guys do your work yeah yeah that's that's it yeah that yeah. is an advantage to build a tunnel because you are disturbing only the, the people at the, at the what is it at the launching shaft and yeah. at the retrieval shaft mm -hmm. uh, so you see between uh, we have uh, several sites we have Montbeton, Karangape and uh, Aotea basically but in between uh, People, they cannot really see that we are working. Uh, we are just underneath, uh, in the ground, huh, basically. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, that's, I guess, one of the great advantages of building a tunnel um, is that you're creating an amazing facility that will get a lot of people moving. But um, in terms of on the surface, uh, you won't really see that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so, I mean... When, when you were building the, the tunnel uh, back in 1986, Francois, yes. uh, that was, was that sort of, I mean, tunneling's been around a while, but um, tunnel boring machines, when did they first start working? Uh, uh, the first one, I don't remember uh, exactly, but uh, uh, in the 50s, there was already tunnel boring machine, but wow. it was mainly a tunnel boring machine for hard rock. Uh, yeah. So it means uh, quite simple machines. Yeah. 
machines with like we have to which carry are capable to excavate the ground but as well install the lining they mm. came later yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you see uh, in 86 it was the second machine of this type uh, in france huh? so uh, there was not so many uh, before huh? yeah I'm sure. and really there has been a boom of, of tunnel boring machines since uh, about 20 years yeah it's uh, it's a good way to go Okay, so Matthews, uh, we're up to your final question this morning. Thank you. Hello, Falava. I'm Naomi. Um, our next question is, how can you ensure safety on the trains? Well, it's a lot for Melanie. Yeah, so safety on the trains, um, this could come... This is this is a pretty big question, isn't it? Because you want uh, to, yes, it's a big question. So, you want yes. to make sure these things are going to be safe. Yes. Uh, I can start. Uh, so there is first uh, the design uh, process. Huh? So to and there is uh, we are in the field of engineering. So you you have to start by what you want to achieve. For example, a train uh, moving from. Uh, Britomart to Montedon at certain speed with a certain number of passengers. So you define what you need to do and you define all the equipments, all the systems which are necessary for that. And uh, you test individually all the systems. And uh, when you have put all them together, you are testing the complete system. So there is a, a process to ensure that you are testing at each step. And at the end of the day, it is safe. So first, a lot of design to ensure that it is safe and after testing and commissioning to ensure that all that is safe. And it's only at the end of this process that you, you, you can open uh, the network of the, tra the train, uh, uh, the train uh, network to, to the public. Mm. Yeah, I watched this program on engineering disasters the other day. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and, um, you know, because, and it's, because you want people to feel safe and use the system, and um, and you sort of think, well, we're we're at the cutting edge of technology, so um, we're at the point where we're we're doing things the best that we can do them. But there must still be lessons that you learn, Francois, and you might come away from a project like this thinking, well, next time we will do it like this or change that. So you, you must there must still we're not at the the, the the top yet are we we must still be learning to be had uh, definitely I, I would say the, the, the design process and the verification process and the testing commissioning process are still the same but for sure there are developments technical developments huh? uh, you, you see trends uh, in terms of signalization is not the same system as uh, 20 years ago huh? mm. uh, as well as it makes the train safer but as well we can increase the capacity uh, there are some, uh, what do you say, some uh, places in the world where we have a train every uh, nearly every minute. Uh, uh, so it's a quite high frequency of trains. Uh, so you see, it's, an, it's only been possible through the development of uh, uh, technology. Yeah? So the technology makes uh, increase the capacity of the network, but as well the safety of the network. Yeah? Uh, you see, with a uh, high-speed train, for example, you, you see a uh, high-speed train, there has been a progress de progressive development, 
the first high speed train, they were at uh, 300 kilometers per hour, or a little bit less, 280, I think. And now we are at 350, 360. That's taken years to do that. And it's uh, high speed trains are safer and safer as well. Huh? So if you guys uh, in class there were to visit uh, Auckland and you had the opportunity to go on one of these new underground trains in the city rail link, when, it, when it's due to be finished in 2024, put your hands up if you think you would want to go and ride on the train through the tunnels. Yeah. <laughs> I would. I think, it's, I think it's amazing. And I'm, I'm looking forward to when it is finished, when I visit Auckland and go and have a go on this myself. And when you know more about the project, I think, well, you know, like you're doing now, learning through the web conference, looking at the videos and that on the website, um, you know, you get to real, more of an appreciation for the, for the behind the scenes, what's gone into creating, um, you know, the finished product through, um, you know, through the design, the, the technical aspects, the machinery, the people, and so, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Hey, thank you very much for joining us this morning, everybody. Thank you to Francois and Isaac, our experts in our speaking school, St. Matthews. It's been great having you join us. We'll, um, we'll leave it there because I know everybody's busy and have got things to get back to. Uh, Barry, we've, we've recorded this. So how, what's the availability of the recording? Unmute. <laughs> so this will um, be uploaded and be available from the MyLearns area. So, um, yeah, with a pin that we, we provide. So there'll be a newsletter goes out to schools, um, people that are enrolled and show them exactly how to get to the recording. Thanks very much. And you're welcome to join us on our web conference tomorrow at 9.30. But until then, until then. Nui kia koutou,